We're starting a new sermon series today. And this series during Lent, we're going to take a look at uh, different things that Jesus said while he was on the cross. And there's really seven different sayings that are attributed to Jesus on the cross. And this is the first of them. And so these sermons are, in some sense, zeroing down on just a few hours of Jesus' life. And they're helping us to hear those things that Jesus was saying to us kind of as his last words, significant words for us to hear. What does it mean for us to live as God's children? How, how do we understand his death? Why did he have to die? How does he demonstrate God's forgiveness? Things like that, those type of questions we'll encounter over the next six weeks as we head towards Good Friday and Easter. This morning, we begin with this phrase, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Now, oftentimes when we see this text, our eyes are drawn to that first word, forgive. And I'll come back to that word towards the end of our time. But really, we're going to focus on the word know. They do not know what they are doing. I have a question for us. How will we get out of the mess we are in? How will we do that? How do we get ourselves out of the mess that we find ourselves in? Not, maybe we're in an okay stage of life. Maybe things are okay, but But realistically, if we start talking about family and friends and neighbors, there's kind of messes all around us, aren't there? Maybe for some of us, it's not friends or neighbors or co-workers who are in a mess, but it's our own hearts. We find ourselves in a place of, of discontent, or we find ourselves trapped in addictions, or we find ourselves angry and bitter, or just lonely. We live in a world, if we take the biblical story seriously, we live in a world that is broken and shattered and shackled by sin and decay. And it has infected everything. Every relationship. Our relationship with creation. Our relationship with God. All that we know and all that we understand has somehow been distorted As Neil Planinga, one of the theologians in the CRC, has said, sin is when we recognize that things are not the way they are supposed to be. It's that feeling that even though the momentary circumstances may seem okay, something's going to happen, the shoe's going to drop, something's going to fall apart. We don't quite feel safe. How do we get ourselves out of it? Do we know what to do? It's that pursuit of knowledge. That pursuit of knowledge and and the thought that goes with it that started us on this road of brokenness. 
Way back in the garden, way back at the beginning of the biblical story, uh, there were two trees put in front uh, that were named in this vast garden that humanity was called to cultivate. One of them was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, don't eat from that tree. That tree's off limits. If you want to know what's good, everything else is good. In fact, it's very good and it's open for you. But this, this is out of bounds. And there was another tree, the tree of life, that if they were to eat of it, everlasting life. If we're students of the Bible, we know what happened. The temptation of that one tree became too much. Adam and Eve looked at the fruit of that tree and saw that it was, it was pleasing to the eye. It looked good. It was a juicy, nice piece of fruit, and they wanted to eat it. And they also saw it was beneficial for wisdom. They could actually be like God. They could be like God. They could know what God knows. And in that temptation, they gave in. Here's what the serpent said to them. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, when you eat from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You'll have all power. Because you know what's good and what's evil. You'll have everything at your hands. You won't need God anymore. You'll be able to do it all by yourself. And it plunged us. It plunged all of humanity and all of creation into a space of trying to live without God. Something that ushered in death and decay. I sometimes wonder if Adam and Eve remembered the biting that fruit when they discovered that Cain, their son, had killed Abel, their other son. What looked pleasing and tasted so sweet at first became bitter, became something that that left their stomachs churning. Dear God, what have we done? We didn't know what we were getting into. We didn't know all this would happen. That our own kids would turn on each other and kill each other. Dear God, we don't know what we're doing. In a nutshell, that's what Lent is about. It's coming to those moments where we recognize the places in our lives where we have said, I can do it without God. And then we realize we didn't really know what we were doing. We've harmed ourselves, our neighbors, and the creation around us. And we've made an utter mess of things. I don't know about you, but for me, this word no has been a sign of my pride. (laughs) 
And in some sense, my pursuit of knowledge, although there is a good reason to pursue it, and I felt God pursuing me towards more and more education, I've also recognized a side in it where I like to know more than other people. I like to be that person who can ask, answer the uh, uh, abstract trivia questions. I like to be the one who knows the theology well. I like the knowledge. It gives me a sense of security. I cling to it. But you know where it started? Not in the classroom. It started way back at home. When my mom would say, Chris, go make your bed. I know, Mom! My dad would say, Chris, have you taken out the trash? I know, Dad, you don't have to tell me again. Anybody ever done that? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it funny how we use that phrase? I know. I know, God. I've got it taken care of. I know I'm not supposed to touch that. I know I'm not supposed to look at that. I know, God. I know. I know. We learn these patterns and we try to say to each other, to people in authority over us, to, to God, I've got it. I'm independent. I can make it on my own. I can do it all by myself. I don't need you. If we listen carefully to this story, we actually have three groups of people in the background here who are all in one way or another shouting out, we've got it. We know what to do. We can fix it ourselves. Here's the Romans. They had a phrase, a Latin phrase, Pax Romana. Roman peace. And their idea for how to fix the world was to, to create a, a whole system where the whole empire was, was under one leader and they had a common, common vision for what life should be like and, and what it meant to be a citizen and, and how you were supposed to conduct business. And they built all sorts of roads all over the Mediterranean and all over the southern part of Europe trying to say this is how we're going to establish world peace and we're going to overcome the brokenness of the world. And they exercised it through military and economic power. If anybody decides that our vision isn't the right vision, we'll isolate them economically. We'll make it difficult for them to do trade and business. Actually, a lot of the letters in the New Testament are written to communities who are starting to experience that type of pressure and control from the Roman government. They were communities who said, actually, we don't believe Caesar is Lord. We believe Jesus is Lord. And as they said that, they were isolated from doing business in the cities. Some places they were not allowed to own property. The economic resources were taken away from them. And that's how the Roman Empire started exercising its control and trying to say, it's our way. We know best. Get in line. And if you really didn't get in line, if you decided to rebel, they had this public tool that they would use. We have ours all nice and smooth and stained up there. But theirs were hunks of rough pieces of wood. 
that they would set up on the side of the road and they would nail people to it or tie people to it and, and sometimes those people would be on there for days dying, slowly dying. And the Roman government would say, if you see the people on those crosses, they're the ones who didn't want our peace, our solution. And so what we do with them is we get rid of them. Now, don't you dare get out of line. It's our way. We know best. The world is best conquered. The the sin and brokenness in the world is best overcome when we have the threat of force to go with it. We're going to own the world through military and economic might. And that's how we'll ensure that we get things right. We know best. Now some of us, actually, I don't think any of us have our own military. Does anybody have your own military in your backyard? I mean, maybe with our little toys, but that's about it. But we rely on governments that have militaries to ensure peace for us, don't we? And there's a certain sense of comfort in that, isn't it? We feel a certain sense of security. But the questions, the question is still relevant for us even if we don't own our own military. How do we use force to get our way? How do we find comfort and security and peace for our own lives in knowing that we've got money in the bank account and we've got good-paying jobs, regardless of where that wealth has come from or how it's been achieved? We, we play into these things. These are solutions that humanity has been saying for centuries and centuries and centuries. And some of us may feel the temptations towards that. The way we solve problems is like the Romans did. Some of us are probably more like the Jewish leaders. You see, the Jewish leaders weren't relying so much on force. In fact, at this point in time, they weren't allowed to execute anybody. The Romans reserved that right. And the Jewish leaders, though, they wanted to make sure that, that peace was maintained through, through us getting things right with God. We had to say the right things. We had to, to do the right rituals. You could only walk a certain distance on the Sabbath day. You had to make sure you had the right clothes. You couldn't wear clothes that were made out of mixed materials. No cotton and polyester in the same outfit. Some of us may go, that would be a fashion mistake. But it is that idea that, that every aspect of our life had a moral or ethical or religious component to it, and we had to get it right. Because that's how we appeased God. That's how we made things right with God. We had to offer the right sacrifices. We had to say the right phrases. We had to, we had to get it all together. And the Jewish leaders... The Jewish leaders thought they knew it all. We just went through this whole sermon series about questioning Jesus, and each of the Jewish leaders and groups of leaders that were coming up had a question for Jesus because they were challenging him and in some sense trying to get him back in line. Jesus, you're way out of line with this love your neighbor stuff. 
Because who is our neighbor? And do they really deserve our love? And we're not supposed to associate with people who aren't like us or who might make us unclean before God. The most important thing is that we're clean with God. If somebody else dies, so be it. And the religious leaders in this story, they realized that, that Jesus was a threat. He wasn't maintaining the moral authority that they thought he should. He didn't agree with them, and so their status before God and before the people was questioned and challenged, and they felt it crumbling in that threat around them. They thought they knew. If we just obey the law, if we just offer the right sacrifices, if we just get it right, if we're just religiously and morally better enough than the people around us. That's what this really becomes. It becomes that comparison tool. It becomes that tool for looking at the people around us and saying, well, at least I didn't do that. I don't know if any of you can remember getting in trouble with one of your siblings. I know one time I know one time that I, I tried getting my sister in trouble, and it backfired. Anybody try doing that? You, try, you go to your parents, and you say to your parents, so-and-so did this. I did that with my sister, Tam. Mom, Tam's been doing this. And then Tam came back and said, yeah, but Chris did this to start it all. Anybody ever have those type of arguments? and you thought you were going to get your sibling in trouble, and you end up being the one in trouble? Yeah. We live in these games of trying to compare ourselves, and we think our sin isn't that big, but the sin of the person next to us, it's just huge. And we want to condemn them quickly. We want to prove that we're right because they're wrong. We want to prove that we're better than them and that if we can just stay better than the people around us, maybe we'll be okay, even if the rest of the world isn't. Then there's the crowds. The way we're going to deal with the brokenness in the world is just to survive. You know what's striking if you read this whole account? How silent the crowds have suddenly become in this passage. The crowds went out. But before this, they were chanting, crucify him, crucify him. Before this, they were awed at his miracles. Before this, they were following Jesus all over the place. They were present in all sorts of places. But here when they come to the cross, they're suddenly silent. They're just trying to survive. They don't want to get caught in the trap of of the Roman military government that could crush them and destroy them. They know what happens to rebels. They end up on crosses. They don't want to get caught caught in in the condemnation, the judgment of the religious leaders because they know what happens then. They'll be kicked out of the synagogue and everybody will say, that person's going to hell. So they want to keep their heads down. They want to keep quiet. They don't want to disturb the peace. They think the best way to handle the sin and brokenness in the world is just to stay down and and not draw attention to ourselves. 
Just hope that somehow, if we, if we don't rock the boat, we'll make it through. What if these aren't enough? Does the military and economic power actually save us? I dare say if we watch the news long enough, we recognize even today that lots of times the military and economic power is used in appropriate ways, in ways that bring more pain and more suffering. If we watch the news long enough, well, maybe even if we live, listen to our own family stories, we see that the religious and moral superiority, thinking we've got it together and everybody else doesn't, actually leads to more pain and more suffering and isolation. And even that, just keep our heads down, doesn't actually get us out of the sin or brokenness, does it? It doesn't set us free And so we come in this Lenten season realizing that all the attempts we've had to save ourselves fall short. What we really know is not that we can do it, but what we really know is that we can't save ourselves. And that's the hard part of Lent. The hard part of this season is that it's, it's pulling back our excuses and our justifications. It's, it's exposing to ourselves that we can't save ourselves. We can't get ourselves out of this mess of sin. Not in our own lives and certainly not in the world as a whole. We can't do it ourselves. But we've been trying since the garden. We continue to make a bigger and bigger mess of things. It's at this point, when we come to the end of ourselves, when we start to recognize our own ability, inability to save ourselves, that we can hear the grace. I'm going to read this verse, and I want you to pay attention to the word no in it. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. Way back in the garden. Actually, it brings us back before that tree was planted in the center of the garden. It brings us back to that point where, where God stooped down, it says, and, and he carved out of the dust of the earth a human being. And he breathed his own breath into them and gave them life. God chose to create us, but he remembers that we are created, that we are dust, that we are frail He remembers the storyline. He remembers our sinfulness. He remembers our brokenness. He remembers how we have rebelled and turned away from him. And in the midst of knowing that, of knowing our whole story, he says, I will have compassion on them. That word compassion It comes from the Latin for us. It means with suffering. And the Hebrew word that's behind this 
means womb aching. Womb aching. God aching in the depths of his being. God with compassion, remembering our story, remembering that he made us, remembering who we are, and saying, I still choose them. And what comes right before this passage? God assuring his people that he will remove their sins from them as far as the east is from the west. It's in that context, God recognizing our deepest issue is that we are trapped in a sin we can't save ourselves from. And with compassion, he chooses to act. He knows. And so when we hear Jesus pray this on the cross, Father, forgive them for what they do not know what they are doing. He's saying at the same time, Lord, they don't know how to save themselves, Father. They don't know how to save themselves. And they think killing me will do it. Father, forgive them. Release them because you know who they are. You made them. You've chosen them. You love them. You created them. You desire them. Father, as a father has compassion on his children, have compassion on them who through all their failings are adding to it now that they're trying to kill me to save themselves. Father, you know. They don't know what they're doing. The miracle in this is that God takes our act of failure, our act of trying to save ourselves and by nailing Jesus to the cross, and he uses that very act to work salvation for us. Not to get rid of Jesus as we thought was the solution, but actually to have Jesus enter death on our behalf. And through his entrance into death and his resurrection, to forgive us, to release us from that which we could not release ourselves. The word forgive here is afiemi, which means to release or to let go. Father, release them from their sins. They can't get themselves out of it. Father, let them go from the trap they're in. They can't free themselves. Father, set them free. So an invitation for us as we begin Lent. We'll keep unpacking these themes in the week to come. First, The invitation of Lent is confess that we need God to save us. And right along with that, to let go of our attempts to save ourselves. To do that hard work of looking in the spiritual mirror and saying, where am I trying to save myself and provide security and comfort for myself instead of trusting that God will take care of me. That God will save me. And as we take those first two steps together, than to move to this space. To truly, in the depth of our being, in every moment of our life, to remember and believe that in Jesus Christ, God has already released us from our sins. God is doing this work. He began it in Christ Jesus and he will be faithful to bring it to completion. He will finish this work. In a moment, we're going to taste the communion bread.
and the communion juice. And those are to be reminders, inviting us into this pattern of remembering and believing. And we're going to do this every week during Lent as we encounter our sin and brokenness to also encounter the depth of God's love for us and the work of salvation he has worked for us in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, we have never been able to save ourselves. And we still can't today. But praise God, in Jesus Christ, he has saved us and set us free from our sins. Let's pray. Lord, sometimes we, we get caught up. We get caught up in what we know in trying to be stubbornly independent, trying to fix everything ourselves. Help us to recognize our brokenness. Help us to recognize how we continually make a mess of things. Help us to recognize that we desperately need you. Move in us. Assure us of what you have already done in Jesus Christ. May this gospel story, this good news, become freedom for us this year. That in Jesus Christ, our sins have been forgiven. In Christ Jesus we pray. Amen.